TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we're super excited today because last week we did an interview with Kim and Cindy's girls and um, the gorgeous Rebecca, who dances with um, Kim's daughter. And it was a really interesting, um, insightful, enlightening a podcast where we got to go on a journey of the minds and the experiences of our younger generation. Mm. And today's podcast is, I guess, it's it's looking at the other scale, the other side of the scales. And, and we've got the gorgeous Sandy here with us, who's Kim's mother-in-law. And we're now looking at our mum's generation. And we really want to understand, you know, from the context of us who sit in the middle... How does life evolve? How does life change? What do you look back on? What are your philosophies? What are your beliefs? What are your... What would you change? What would you do differently? What would you keep the same? <laughs> She's got so many questions. <laughs> would you like me to write each one of these down? And we, we could do each one as we go. That was amazing. Well, like, I'm just thinking about that from I my know. own perspective, being in the middle you know, of, of, of the younger ones last week and, you know, Kim's mother-in-law, you know, Sandy, um, this week, I'm thinking, wow, what do I really want to know for me? And it's all of those things. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you so much for joining us today. And flying especially from New Zealand for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And your daughter's um, ballet recital. Whatever. It was all about the podcast. Okay, it's all about the podcast. (laughs) Right. Well, it's lovely for me to be here. Yes, I am Sandy Morrison, and I do have the great good fortune to be Kim's mother-in-law and a special privilege to be Danny's mother, of course. And I'm just thinking... Well, given all those questions, um, Karen, we could, we, be, we could be here for a week or so. <laughs> and, and at the beginning, Sandy goes, well, there was, you know, there's only yeah. one of me, it'll only be half an hour, and we went, no. no. <laughs> yeah, depending on those questions. Well, I, I think that is what, what one of the wonderful things about getting beyond 60, because you do have a whole lifetime to look back on, and... You know, they say, I always remember my mother saying at 80, well, life is short. And in some ways it is. But I think it is both of those things. It's actually short and it's full. Because really, if you think about your life in decades, I did this actually not so long ago. I went back and I thought about each decade of my life and what were the really important things that happened to me in that decade. And that was a really profound exercise, a way of actually remembering the things, you know, sometimes the highs and the lows, but the things that really mattered in in those particular... And it also gave me this real sense that, yeah, I kind of lived quite a long time, really. Mm. And not only that, I was born in a different century, and I never thought about that as actually... And being all that significant, um, until I talked to kind of young people... And they, or I hear them sort of saying, oh, that was way back in the 40s. And I think, yeah, I was born in the 40s. That was way back in the 40s. So there is, I think that's what's the paradox of life. There is this constant thing when really inside yourself you feel just the young person and you can contact just the child you were, the schoolgirl you were, but also then this other person who's actually lived and experienced sort of so much of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that that's so much of what, when you get to this point in life, you have to remember all the wonder and the marvellous things and the magical parts of your journey, as well as the hard roads you've travelled, the challenges and the tough things, you know, because I think there isn't a life that hasn't experienced challenges. And I, and I always remember my mother saying to me that, well... There's a book in everyone. And then, and I was a great book reader, and she used to say, oh, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. I used to think, oh, what a lot of nonsense, you know, truth is stranger than fiction, because I just loved reading novels of families and their lives. And, and I've, you know, come to 
just see the wisdom and the truth of so many things that are actually cliches because there's so much truth in them. Mm -hmm. And I think this is totally the, the case, that each life and each person has a whole book in them. And if you just listen to even snippets of them, you know, there's a, there's a whole story and there's a whole rich journey which you can hear. And I think if I wasn't, didn't do the things I did in my life, I think I might have liked to be a writer. And I was thinking the other day, I think I might like to be a criminal lawyer, I was thinking. When I was watching with Taylor, the SUV, we like to kind of watch. That SVU? Program. SVU. <laughs> Special <laughs> Victims Unit? Yes. Yes. But that also brings me to, um, you know, uh, what you look forward to. I mean, definitely there's the reflection on where you've been and what you've created and the experiences and the challenges and opportunities that have come your way. But also, too, what, what do you look forward to? Like, what are you, you know, it, it creating? And what are you, you know, where do you... Because you don't stop. It's, you still keep going and life continues Absolutely. for you and time, I think you just so have... Exactly. You, 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 just, you always still have dreams, not necessarily unrealistic dreams, but you have dreams and hopes but you also have that for the people that you know and love and your friends and so there's so much to look forward to yeah. but I suppose also for me that one of the things that is is to increasingly really learn the art of living in the present and what that really means and I think that is an art to actually be able to live in the present and the, the more you apply that philosophy, the more you notice the tiny things in life, the things or even you feel the breeze blowing and you notice the flowers. And what made you come to that realisation that that was necessary? The, the living in the present. Well, I suppose I probably have been one of those people that's been on a sort of a, a, a searching journey because when I was probably about 30... I got given a book which was called um, In Search of the Miraculous and it was a, a Russian philosopher, Spensky. And I think my life has been about a search for the miraculous because I do think that life is extraordinary, just the, notion, just the being alive and that no matter um, what is actually happening to you, that there is so much that you can actually learn from that. So for me, that has been the purpose of my life, really, is that I think that we are so much more than our minds, our bodies, our emotions, that you know we are this incredibly fantastic electromagnetic system that actually is part of a much bigger universe. And I think trying to um, tune into that in a way that is about sort of refining your consciousness. And I loved it when I went to the workshop with you three women and Cindy was talking about, and you were, you were all talking about, in a way, raising your vibrations, that not only just what you eat and what you think and what oils you put on, all and that just really just spoke to me because I thought, well, that's what I think we are. We're these vibrating electromagnetic systems, beings of love and light, that in fact the finer we are, the, the more we think about what we eat and how we live and what our motivations are and how much, how much gratitude we have for being alive, the, you know the better tuned we are to actually be here. But, but how, you know, like some people get to your age um, or to our age or to, our, you know, the young girls that we interviewed last week and they, they don't get it. Mm. How, do you, how do you get that? How, how, does, how, do, how do you get where you are right now? You're, you're beautiful. Like just listening to you is like listening to an, um, an amazing orchestra bringing everything together um, to swell something inside me. I don't know what's happening, but I'm feeling just this, I don't know, amazing warmth. Um, and not everybody speaks like you. You know, 
I, I, I hear you read that book, you know, In Search of the Miraculous, and maybe we we all need to read something like that. Is it is it education that creates this, or is it? But I think I think you women are doing it. I, I think that it's it's all out there. I mean, that for me, that was a book that was a you know a particular turning point. But the, that's the the wonder of it. There are many books, and there's so there is so much out there that is about tuning you into what really matters. And I think that what I love about you three women is that you're all, in your own way, tuned to that, knowing that somehow we can be bigger and better and we can generate more love and compassion and harmony than, you know, all of us all together can actually make so much more. So I think that it, there is, it is about whether you are open to hearing it. Mm. You know, I think it is about, because it's all, in a way it's always been there. It's all, you know, mm. that, that kind of conversation about what matters, it's there and it's in different forms. And I suppose one of the things are, that sort of disappoints me about those things that matter is that sometimes they have been taken into um, a very religious kind of context that have been really constrained by um, rules and regulations and and you feel that at the heart of it it's not that's not what mm. it's about but somehow it's got it's got trapped mm. and I think that you women and your children are fortunate to live in this a generation or generations when in fact it's like it's all got out there some of this used to be really esoteric wisdom contained in very kind of, you know, private schools. But it's, that's, it's out there. I mean, you think about Tibet. I mean, Tibet was a closed country for a thousand years. And in the 50s, because of the Chinese invasion, and yes, there's tremendous kind of loss that happened as a result of that, but what was the what was the result of that? enormous amount of pearls of wisdom mm. came from... We have the Dalai Lama because the Chinese invaded Tibet. Mm. Now, you know, it, it sort of is about how you... what lens you've got on and how you see the world. But I think that the practical things, and that's what I think when you talk about what food you eat, what matters about, you know, the thoughts that you have, whether in fact you're actually maybe feeling low and you know that you've got to get up and get out and get physical. Um, all of that is actually part of giving out to people because even if people only take one part of that, that can be the beginning of their journey and that's the thing that I think that for you women and others like you who who talk this big story, who talk about what matters, is, um, is I have great hope for the world in relation to how much is out there. I mean, you could get despairing about the world if you think about it. When I think about you interviewing those young women, I think I'd like to interview them about what they think about the state of the world, mm. you know, how they make sense of it, because um, it is really... It, it's complex and it's tough and there's huge environmental concerns and that, but as well as that, there's tremendous hope, you know, and I think that that's something that you generate, and I think that that's something that we all can never sort of lose sight of. Mama, we were driving in the car the other day, and Taylor had just finished her... Oh, Mama, I just called her Mama. <laughs> Sorry, Sandy. We were in the car the other day, and Taylor had finished her concert, and you'd got to, to see your granddaughter perform on stage and it was just beautiful to have you there to experience that and and the following day we were driving and and you got quite emotional in the car and I looked at you and you went oh I feel really emotional and I said oh about Taylor and you said oh just thinking about what's ahead of her what life is going to be for her and what did, what did you mean exactly in that moment? Where did you go with that feeling, looking at someone like her? Well, what it was really that, you know, seeing her dance and seeing her as the swan princess, 
it made it reminded me of the little girl she was, mm. you know, and that what a what a journey it had been, both short and long, because I think life is a paradox. Everything is this and that, you know, and so it's it seemed and here she was really on the cusp of her own womanhood, you know, just and I felt because somehow the recognition that there would be so much out there that she needed to face. You know, we had no idea what her journey will be, and but we do know it will be it will be full and it will have its own challenges. And I think it was that that real sense that you know life is so precious that and we take so much of it for granted and the opportunities particularly that young people have now and I think about them as the digital native revolution because they are just like it's a good way of saying it they're just I mean somebody there was a phrase I heard um, a little while ago about well you know the magazine I mean to the small child the magazine is the iPad that doesn't work that they just don't think, you know what I mean? This, they're just, it's kind of like a complete different reframe. And I thought, so there is so many things about life and, will, and that will be Taylor's life and others' life that we can't even conceive. It's not within our conception because it hasn't actually manifested yet. And to me that was both poignant, exciting, daunting, you know, and challenging. Really. And certainly emotional too, when you think about the possibility of life, just in its in its grandness that lays ahead of somebody so young. Yes. I've got two nephews, one's 19 um, and the other one is 16. And I look at those two nephews of mine and I remember when I was that age, I had no idea what laid ahead. Hmm. And now hmm. looking back at them, I see the grandness of what life has to offer. Yet as we walk through the day-by-day process of living, you're right in that we do take it so for granted because we don't have contrast. I mean, the opposite to life is death. So we don't actually have that. We've only got Mm -hmm. life. So we don't have real perspective on the value of the day or the value of our creativity Mm -hmm. in that day or the value of our contribution to that day and the contribution to this, this global... Um, harmonistic orchestra that we participate in, you know. I, I think it's when you think of kids like Taylor and, and Tania and you know my nephews and you know just anybody. Yes, yes. It, it's like it feels. It really feels to me like this great big ocean of anything could possibly be in there, and that feels emotional. As I'm just sitting here, that feels emotional to me. And it, and it is, Karen, I think it is. I mean, you know, there are lots of fantastic kind of sayings like, you know, youth is wasted on the young and you can't oh, put old tragedy, and that, you know, And they say things like that mm. because... But I think that for young people and when you look at people, you know, young people like Taylor and Rebecca and things with that sort of intuitive wisdom but also learned and, you know, and from their upbringing, then you can see that there is there are new possibilities. Mm. There are new possibilities. There are different ways to be. And they've but come in cable ready, these kids. That's a good phrase. Mm. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, that yeah. they've they've come in with a with a whole new um, way of being in the world that we're not we're not plugged into. Absolutely. And so their so their charge and their essence mm. is for you know, a whole new revolution almost of what this world will become um, beyond what we've been able to leave behind. Guys, like what I would like to compare a little bit is, you know, those young girls that we interviewed last week and their perspective and their, how they were, not even how they were brought up, but the world that they're being brought up in compared to the world I was brought up in in, and I'm a decade older than you guys. Quite a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> and 
compared... And, and, and I'm and, and Kim's a bit older than me. Yeah. So even the, the <laughs> era that you guys were brought up in and compared to the era, you yeah. said the 40s. The 40s. The 40s. So I'm the 60s, you guys are the 70s, right? Am I 60s. right? 60s. So you're the 60s. I'm, you're, I'm, you're the 70s. I'm a 70. Yeah. I'm a 1970. What year are you, love? 68, thanks. Yeah, suck in. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, just, I just remember being a 19-year-old and... I didn't have the grand plan that these guys had. I was just living life one day at a time. I went, oh, yeah, I want to go to America and study because I want to ski. I, I just felt that I, I didn't even have those thought patterns. And is it because we have those thought patterns that our kids have it, but then we didn't ask Rebecca, remember. Um, I think Taylor and Tania may be an exception um, rather than a rule, because they have clicked into something at quite a young age, whether it's environmental or whether it is because they've got such driven parents or older siblings, whatever it is. Whereas Rebecca, who to me is also incredibly charged and she was very quietly driven and quietly, she didn't know what she wanted to do in life. Um, and what I think I've learned from observing my mother in law, who I felt so blessed to me. I, I wanted to marry her son because of her. No. <laughs> <laughs> the no. truth comes out now. No. 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 no, truly. I thought, how lucky am I to not only get the man of my dreams, but to also have a mother-in-law that is also the exception to the rule. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But to have, her, <laughs> to have your... To see your wisdom... At such a young age, for me, was like, you know, we look for mentors, we look for mm. people that we want to look up to, and we look for people that are actually a part of who we can aspire to be like or want to be like. You know, going back to that point where you made when we're young, we don't... I, I just even look back now and I think of me at 19, I never saw drama, I never saw hassle, I knew I'd had challenges. At 25, marrying the man of my dreams, I knew that life would... How could it be... How could it get bad like yes. it, how could there ever be a challenge I knew when I felt pregnant I was going to have the perfect baby I knew I had the most beautiful home I had and when you got emotional in the car the other day I picked up on something for me where all of a sudden I thought oh but I don't want my babies to go through yeah. what my bubble bursting I don't want them to feel all those things and yet I know they're going yeah. to and that was actually a real mm. paradigm shift for me that I can't protect them from that and now here you are, a grandmother. What's it like the next generation on, looking at your children's children and what they're experimenting? I mean, do you feel it doubly? I, I think that is when I say, you know, it makes life so rich. I mean, I, I think that you almost have to expand to hold it all. And I think that this is something, like you, Kimberly. I mean, I think when I was young, I was all a bit of a Pollyanna, you know. I did want to see the world through rose-coloured glasses. I did actually believe in the dreams and things and marriages lasted forever if you were with the man that you started out in life with, all of those things. So I think that, you know, having a lot of those things, the mirror cracking, having the glass balls crashing is... is is part of learning and growing. And yes, it's painful, but I I think that probably losing my daughter really taught me about pain. It really taught me about how your instinct is to contract because it's so painful. And your only release the only way you will actually embrace that and live through it and with it is to expand to hold it and so I think that can we I, have I to ask you to mm. um, explain that to me can you expand mm. on that yeah <laughs> expand on that I just I want to know mm. what you mean by that like um, so is that to withdraw from the world to withdraw from your knowledge to withdraw from everything that you know is that what you're saying? No, it's really more about emotionally how you feel. Like, I mean, because I think, and anybody listening there would, who has experienced, you know, deep loss and will know on any scale continuum 
what that means is that because it's so you contract almost inside yourself you you hold yourself tight i mean it's so painful mm. so as much as anything it's an emotional thing that you actually really have to hug yourself to yourself and because i'm interested in energy systems and because i'm interested in thinking about us ourselves as these electromagnetic beings of light which is part of my belief system if you like in that instinctively i knew that by doing that and that would just hold everything so tight that it would be more painful it's like when you have a stomach ache you know you actually kind of contract but if you can relax and women who have babies know this you know you get the contractions but the only way you actually get the release is to relax into it and i think that that is true emotionally and i think you know if people ask me about how you endure those kinds of life tragedies and i certainly know that karen you have been down that long hard very lonely um journey is mm. that you know it's only when you let go when you are able to breathe through the pain to actually really get to a point where you really hand it over then that's what i call expanding that's what i call not contracting but actually and it is a it is a process of accepting there are things that you cannot change and i think that that really simple prayer of you know give me the serenity to accept things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference mm. and i think that accepting the things you cannot change i think that is part of expanding i think you do you know you embrace it so for me loss is never about closure it's actually about learning to live with and to hold the love and everything that mattered to you about that person or that situation and realize that there's all of that there's all of the love and the joy and all the wonderful things that was actually part of that person's life that are as important more important than being defined by their death that's um that's to me what being a full expanded version of yourself actually means the way that i look at that you know in in support of what you're saying is that and i certainly couldn't have seen this at the time but i definitely get it now is that you know when we go through anything like that like mm. you said it's not actually closure but the tragedy for us is that we're conditioned to see these sorts of tragedies mm. in our lives and any kind of tragedy you know it's a bankruptcy or a divorce or it can't you yes. know whatever yeah. it is we tend to see these sorts of tragedies as um a reason to not participate in life anymore but the way that i see it now in support of what you're saying sandy is that it's an opportunity to um create a new le- a new normal because the reality mm. is you can never be the same as you were before because mm. your life is altered as a result of that experience mm. except our perceptions keep us in a very small and very contracted way yes. of being which doesn't allow us to participate in life oh. whereas if we're able to see it as a way of or see it as purposeful for the ripple effect that it creates in everybody's life because when somebody does pass away there's a massive ripple effect that occurs and you see most people will say i'm not going to take life for granted anymore i'm going to remember the good times i'm going to pay more attention to this person yes. and spend more time with my family so 
we instinctively get a ripple effect that has an impact from the loss of, of, of people that we love. But then we get caught up in life again and, you know, we take life for granted, you know, as time goes on. Mm. But we forget, I think, or we don't realise, I think, that those sorts of experiences, and this is very, you know, rabbit hole and out there mm. for a lot of people, especially if they're going through something like you and I have, mm. um, is that it's an opportunity to co-create and recreate a new life with the learning experience, the growth, mm. the everything that you've achieved as a result of being in relationship with that particular person who's passed, it's an opportunity to co-create and recreate a new beginning. And my sister actually said this to me years and years and years ago, which I, I at the time I could have slapped her, but now I really get it. Mm. She said to me, we die for each other. She said, mm. you can't, she said, you can't think of it any other way because otherwise it just doesn't make sense. So she said the reason that she says that is because when you think of the ripple effect that occurs when somebody passes, it's transformational. It's, yeah. And to make or to, or to give that passing of that person a meaning that serves us rather than debilitates us, perhaps we can give it a meaning where we see that that person's passing was meant to have the impact on me that it's having Therefore, I'm designed and, I, and, I'm, and I'm being pulled and called to recreate myself with a new normal that makes me a better person and the world a better place. Therefore, giving homage and value to the life that they've lived. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. I think that mm. that's, I think that's really beautifully said. I, mm. I agree. I am so glad we recorded that one. That mm. was a perla. Mm. What did I say? <laughs> See, she downloads, doesn't she? But that, you know, yeah. that was an absolute pearler because I can't repeat it. Mm. But what I got from it, I touched her. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. I just and I was just riveted. And, but I'm riveted in in both of, of mm. both of what you're saying because to me it's it's like a philosophy lesson and, and I have a philosophy lesson with my father you know I'm thinking we should have brought my father along yeah. and your mother and your mother I know and yes, I think about your yes. mum your mum is such a philosopher as well and and my dad you know in the loss of um, his daughter and his mother uh, his wife sorry in a very short period of time you know he doesn't he doesn't say oh it's been this many years since they've passed he says I was so lucky to have your mother for 50 years. Fantastic. I was yes. so lucky mm. to have my daughter for 46 years, you know? I do know. And I just yes. think <laughs> it's a different way of... Because we can. We can say it's been a year since they passed. It's two years. It's three years. It's mm. four years. Five years. Whatever it is. Mm. But we forget to look at... You know, and one of the manifestos of those young girls was... To not look at the bad thing that happened, no. but look at all the everything around you yes. of the good. And 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 your point, Karen, was um, that we have to recreate who we are, and they give us that opportunity to recreate who we are. And, and we can never go back to new normal. Well, yeah, new you can never go back to the way that you were. No. You, 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 and I think that we live in hope that that's what will happen, and therefore resist the reality. So we live in hope of, I just want it the way that it was before. I just want, you know, like yes, me, it was, I just want Greg back. I just want Jodie back. I just want Charmaine back. I just want them back. I want them back. So we live in resistance of the reality yes. rather than acceptance of the reality, which then opens up the opportunity to create a new level of normal. And what about, not even a passing, but a life back? And, you know, so people who have been in car accidents and have become Absolutely. quadriplegics or paraplegics or lost an arm or a leg mm. or, or... Or even lost a job. A, a job, yeah. Or, or, uh, yes, but it exactly. Doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be around loss. I think what Sandy's saying mm. is that life is this continually expanding and evolving experience. So, in fact, today is an opportunity to create a new normal because yesterday is already gone and we've experienced yesterday and all that it was filled with... Yes. So it allows today to be a whole new day of recreation of a new normal based on what we mm. achieved out of yesterday and tomorrow we'll do the same thing. So it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be focusing on the loss because I've got a new philosophy on that too. But. Sandy, I want to ask you, <laughs> if, if someone turned around to you and said, who is Sandy Morrison, what would you say? Oh, now that's a buoy. 
difficult question, isn't it? Who was Sandy Morrison? You know, Kim, I don't know that... I don't know that I'd be able to answer that really easily because, you know, I have so many roles and so many, you know, um, I'm as a mother, as a grandmother, um, as somebody who's worked, you know, probably tirelessly in community and in public policy and I'm interested in the arts and I'm still involved in assisting entrepreneurs, you know, with their kind of creative projects. And so I like to think that Sandy Morrison is all of those things. And, you know, I just came out of brigade that burnt their bras so that <laughs> anything they ever wanted to be and everything. And I, I sort of, you know, I wanted it all. I wanted to do purposeful work. I wanted to kind of, you know, be an at-home mother when the children were really small. And I think that, and I see women now that, yes, that's what they do. They grab life with both hands. They can and do all those things. I, I suppose I think, you know, as a feminist, which I probably do have a lens that is, um, still looks at some of the things in that way, I think that... It's a shame that men didn't go through some of the consciousness raising that I think women did through the women's movement and things because I feel that um, in many ways they needed to be liberated from some of their conditioning and attitudes and um, and of course in you know in my um, <laughs> when I'm being a bit sort of more harsh about them I say they're not really all that reconstructed, that many of them need to deconstruct themselves and reconstruct themselves the way women have, or many women have, in terms of... Um, because I think that we are designed to be learning, growing human beings that are make fabulous partnerships, you know. So um, I like to think that Sandy Morrison is all of those things, but no one label in particular... You know, I think that that's... I've never really liked labels a lot, which is why, you know, I've been... And I've stayed, I've stuck to MS, even when I was married to a man. But interestingly enough, I didn't keep my maiden name, like a lot of women who came through that feminist revolution did, you know. And I think it's because I had children young... And they were Morrisons, and I always wanted to have the sense that they were part of me. So, um, and I always thought that, you know, the most wonderful thing that their father ever did for me was to actually give me those gorgeous, beautiful children. And um, and I like to think that that's a recognition of, you know, him and and his name. So, um, I don't know what. I'd be interested to, for you to ask young women who they think they are, you know, what do they aspire to, what are all the dreams that they want, because some of them, some of them want different, different things, they don't necessarily want it all, they don't want to have all those roles. I mean, it's so interesting that, you know, weddings are on the increase. I come across young women who you know, just want to stay home and have children. I mean, that might be that they might do that for a while and then they might want to change their mind. But, and I think to have that choice is probably what we, what we sort of, you know, worked so hard for. It's, when I think of the lives of women in the 1800s, which is not there all that long ago, or even, you know, before even women had the vote, I mean... God, it's just to me, it's what's been hard the, to imagine. What's been the change in terms of the way that women are in the world that you've seen through your lifetime? Oh, I think it's that they are their own people; that they're far more independent. That they don't think about um, can I do this job or that job or would I be accepted? 
Is that just, how it was in the beginning days? Beginning? Well, I mean, even like for me, when you know you were going to university, I mean, you were going to you were going to be a nurse or a teacher, or you know that that's there were quite a limited number of kind of things that you were you could even that were think available to women. Yes, or, or you could even aspire to, that you thought about being school teachers, usually nurses. You know, you didn't um, didn't think of doctors, lawyers, prime ministers. accountants. No, definitely not prime ministers. You know, you didn't. Um, And I think you just only go back one other generation and it wouldn't have been... I I remember my mother saying, I mean, she's... um, She passed away three years ago and I remember her saying that um, it just wouldn't have occurred to her to even imagine a life that had a career. Right. You know, that it doesn't... so it was just get married, have kids. It was, that's what you, that's that's what what you, you were going to be doing. And, you know, you do something interesting. She joined the army. It was that, you know, it was that time of the year. So I'd, I think that probably young women or even women of your generation probably don't realise how, how emancipated your choices have been. How just, it's, it's like you've just, you know, almost, well, that's how... Life is, and how it should be, and yet we're still arguing for, you know, equal pay, for equal work. I mean, there are many ways in which it isn't entirely kind of equal, but there is so much of it that is about, you you know, we say girls can do anything, they can, you know. So can I ask you a question, and um, I'm not necessarily suggesting that this is my view, Um, There's been a lot of talk, probably for the last 10 years or so, and there was a book that was written um, by Dr. John Gray called What Your Mother Didn't Tell You and What Your Father Didn't Know. And when I read that book, I found it really fascinating, just in terms of the context of relationshiping. And the key points that he made in that book was that men are displaced because women have really found their voice, they found their authority, they found their ability to be creative, they found their ability to be educated, you know, make money and, and be independent. And the the place of, or the, he says, the natural instinctive place that a man holds and a woman holds in the household and in relationshiping has been displaced. Because men obviously haven't gone through that evolution, as you said, but women certainly have, and now men don't how to don't know how to be with this new version of women. So they're becoming more feminine, and then women are becoming more masculine because you know, in a in a working environment out in the corporate world, it's very masculine still. So from a relationshiping point of view, do you think that um, when women did, you know, like the generation before you, when women did have the notion that they would get married and they would be taken care of and they would have their babies and live happily ever after that kind of life, do you think we had it right back then? And this great swing of the pendulum that's had men displaced and women more masculine, do you think we had it right back then and wrong now, or do you think it's a case of the pendulum swimming, swimming from one extreme to another and eventually we'll find balance? Through the I, wisdom of your view, what, what do you think about that? I, don't, I wouldn't say that I think we had it right then. I, th- I would be more inclined to think that we're striving to find a new way of partnership mm. and balance which actually recognises that you know, their strengths in the different roles Mm. and that, in fact, the harmony is created by the masculine and the feminine, but it doesn't have to be translated in conditioned ways of who would, you know, who's earning the money. And that I think it's, I think our stereotypical conditioned ways of seeing male and female roles has undergone huge Mm. Um, you know, a huge change. But we haven't yet evolved to understanding that really good relationships and families and things are about partnerships and it's less about the social conditioning of who's doing what. Mm. So, you you know, I know house fathers who really aren't feminine at all. Mm. You know, they're still strong and active yeah, in their yeah. roles and so 
I think what we have to do, I think the evolution is about changing our conditioned mindsets about, you know, the man and the woman. And I agree that there were probably different harmonies that were in place when the man was the provider, mm. active, and the woman was more passive. But that was really, that's a bit kind of like superficial, looking on the outside, because really, if you knew the lives of the people living on the inside, how they were, mm. there were men in those situations who were weak, and there were women who were really strong and active and really held the family together. Right. Even though, so it's, it's the notion of the roles and the conditioning I think, and so I agree that men do need, and I think are having their own revolution, you know, but it's kind of happening in different different streams of people, in different men, in different situations. Different pace, not right across yeah. the board. Look, I agree with you entirely, because I, you know, I watch my mum and dad, so, you know, they're the 20s and the 30s. Um, and I watched their relationship and it was very traditional. You know, my mum stayed home, my mum looked after us, my dad went out to work. Uh, I, I felt they had a great relationship. You know, I don't know, but that's what I saw. And now I have a husband from the 50s and I'm from the 60s. And he was obviously brought up in our household where it was exactly the same. Those roles were there. And that's the role that he expected. Right. And, and, and then he got you. And then he got me. And then you marry one. <laughs> and I'm very serious, you know, he mm. really struggled with that. Um, and and still yeah, look here I'd love it. Um, you know, he, he did he really struggled with the fact that I, I wanted more. I didn't want to be at home and, and just be a mum and I wanted to do so much more. But I, I'm looking at a couple that uh, I just I saw twice on Sunday and I hadn't seen them for ages and, and they're a fairly well-known couple named Shania and Julius. And those two have taken on the role equally. As oh, aren't they legends? They are amazing. They're amazing to watch mm. because they not only work together, mm. they bring up that family together. And they've got they've got very young little children. Yeah. And they Four both, kids. Well, they yeah. both want six. So yeah, she's going to go again. Yeah, she said mm-hmm. she wants more. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And, you know, there's kids hanging off of Julius coming here, there, and everywhere. And Lucky he can handle it. He can. Lucky he's big and strong and muscular. Exactly. Yeah. But you watch those <laughs> two, and they are equal. See, and I remember many years ago uh, a philosopher saying, when there's equalness in the sexes, there's no war. Totally. Wow. See? So stop it. And I'm not talking about the war in the home. I'm talking about the war... In the land. In, mm-hmm. in, yeah, in, in the, the land. And you look at where there is war at the moment. There's mm. no equality in the sexes. Do you know, mm. with Julius, um, I've gotten to know him really well um, on, a, on a very philosophical level. Mm. Him and I can have conversations like this, you know, like Sandy, mm. I could sit and just talk to you for days, I know mm. it. Um, and his philosophy is very, you know, there's absolutely nothing feminine about Julius. He's as manly as they come. I mean, he's such a hunk. But the man is aware and he's conscious and he's present and he's, he's, he's clear and he makes no mistake and he makes no bones and he holds nothing back and he gives everything. He, he leaves nothing in the tank He's not playing games. He's not. He's not here to to idle through life. He is. He, he is playing one hundred percent in every aspect of his life with his wife, with his children. He's giving it all. He's holding nothing back. And, and she has had a transformational movement in herself mm. recently, where she has had four children and was starting to look like a, a woman who looked like she'd had four children and. You know, she was trying hard to battle with being physical and fit because they had a fitness um, business together. And in the last probably six months, she's done a massive transformation. And with that, her own um, personality is almost, it's not like it wasn't ever there. Like we were talking with the young girls that the athlete was always there. The Mm. athlete was always there, but she somehow has transformed that through her physicality. And they share a remarkable um, partnership. And I think we all strive in our relationships for that. Um, 
one thing I'd like to ask you... Just so, to go on from that, and I'm seeing it more and more. That, yeah. That's what I'm trying yes. to say, mm-hmm. is you know that where you were, then I was, and now these are a young couple in their early 30s. Early 30s, yeah. And I, I actually started to go, you know, that's, I guess, what I wanted. I wanted that equality. Yeah. But because I had a husband that was in the traditional way, yes. it was very hard for him mm. to do that. And then I had to just work around that. And now he's had to work around that too. So he's become more hands-on um, because he's had to do that. Yes. And so what I'm finding is, is the father does it, then shows the son. Mm, yes. And then the son, and you know, Julius is South African. Mm. And that their traditional roles are... Oh, yeah, absolutely. So is Karen, so is Sandy. Exactly. Mm. Are you South African? I was mm. born in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Achmen. Achmen. So I love it. I would love to ask you from that thing, <coughs> do you think there is hope? when it comes to, uh, like, maybe when your grandchildren are going to marry or even looking at people like Danny and I or you've seen what we've... Like, what do you see? Yes, I do think... I mean, that is what gives me hope because I do think, you know, that we make... You know, we make progress slowly and there is there is an evolution and there is... And I suppose, you, you know, to, to remain positive or whatever, you have to... You have to believe that it is always possible for people to change. People may not always choose to change, but there is always that opportunity. And I do see that each generation... I mean, you think even like the young women, it doesn't... The nature of the interactions with boys is is different. I mean, you know, that, that they don't... All the other things which are natural and, you know about boys and it still goes on all the same all the instinctive stuff but really the choices that they can make and the fact that we actually are trying to grow human beings so that they can be the best they can so they can form relationships which are equal and partnerships and powerful and nothing to do with conditioned stereotypes oh, you know that's what that's what the hope is. And I think that you see that, you know, you see that possibility. I mean, you see it. I mean, I remember, I remember <laughs> when we were going through a really tough time in our marriage. And this is something that I just, I'm still blown away to this day. And I was in a heap on the floor. And you were there stroking my head. And you said to me, My darling, no man is worth losing your identity over including my son. That's right. That is right. It was massive. Absolutely. as a mother. And I believe that. I believe that for all young women. I believe that for all people, mm. you know, because that's when you're kind of strong in yourself, in your, in your own sense of who you are, and what, then, in fact, you've got everything to give. To the, but if, in fact, part of you is only alive and dependent on somebody else to actually, you know, make you whole, then you're always going to be at huge risk. You know, that's a huge... So when I hear these young women that you interviewed on your last podcast saying, you know, they're about boys, well, it's not about trading everything about themselves and who they are. It's, you know, yes, of course... They do want boyfriends, and they will have them, and they are interested in them. But it's not going to be at the expense mm. of giving up everything who they are and what they aspire to do, and what they—that's fantastic. I go, yay, Germaine Greer! <laughs> revolution was about. You know, this is it, Sandy. What do you do in your darkest moments? How do you get through those challenges? Do you have a faith? Do you believe? What do you think about, what do you say to yourself? I know you're an amazing writer, you journal lots of things. What do you do? I do, I would say that um, that journaling is, is, and certainly was through those um, hard times, something that really helped me because that whole thing of being able, and I really encourage other people to think about that as a way of um, really getting things, because it can be things that nobody 
else ever needs to read, or it could be something that you choose to share. But I do think that that, um, for me also, um, music is, um, you know, like really beautiful music has been a, a, something that has been a great source of inspiration and comfort to me. Um, I also do have, I'm a great believer in mantras and affirmations. In By that I mean things that you discover yourself, which really are like your own prayer because they mean something to you. And to me, you know, that's what prayer is. Prayer is the saying of things that really speak to you, not just repetitive words or anything that somebody else has said, but if you make them your own and if you um, put into words what it is you are feeling or that you're needing, or then I think that it's answered, like prayers do get answered. And But I do think you have to formulate, you have to be able to express it. It's like, you know, they say you're not ready to hear the answer until you can ask the question. So what I love about also the work that you three do is that you are constantly posing questions to the women and to the people that are attracted to you. You you challenge them, you make you ask them to ask questions. So for me, you know, those darkest hours are about taking time out. The sunrise is really a very special time for me. I think, um, uh, you know, I myself have a prayer that I say when the Would you say sun it? is rising, you know, as the radiant sun rises over the world, may the light and truth and beauty dawn in my heart and soul. So be it. So be it. Mm. And so it's a very simple, you know, that's, and that's not necessarily something for somebody, but I think I would say to each and every person, just get that quiet place, whatever it is for you. Sometimes it's by the sea or by the river, and really find something that you can offer up from yourself as a prayer. And that is so powerful and loaded with the sort of energy that fills your heart and soul. When I say that we are these electromagnetic beings, I think you do vibrate in a different way. Well, I've decided where my quiet time will be. Listening to your voice. Mm. I've actually been watching mm-hmm. your face because, Sandy, you do have a very hypnotic and a very soothing voice. And I'm, and I'm watching Cindy slide down her chair. Her whole face is starting to relax. She's looking very, like, just, like, really just sort of drawn in. I was. I was really drawn in and I was thinking, I feel really peaceful and really quiet right now. Mm. And and one of the things that you spoke about was journaling, and I've, I find this really interesting. I don't know how you journaled, but my grandmother, who was born, obviously, well, my mum was the 30s, so my mum, my grandma must have been 1910. She was born mm-hmm. around then. And she journaled everything. And when mm-hmm. she passed at the age of 95, I got her journal and read it. Oh, what a treasure. It was oh. an amazing treasure. But there was no emotion in it. Not one bit of emotion. It was all factual. It was all factual. It was, I met Vince, I got married, I had my first, I had my second. Wow. My second has been, and dates, times, so-and-so yes. got married, so-and-so got this. And yes. it was, Tommy died, so that was her youngest yes. of 11 children. Wow. Tommy died, he died at 11. Um, and put the date, he died from this. Uh, and then, yeah, it was and all the facts. All of the facts, life. and I wanted. I was to... given the journal. It was this beautiful mm. journal, mm. and I was given it, and and I'm reading it, going, my gosh, my grandma went through so much. She lost um, six children mm. before she died. So she had she 
lost six of her children. And and I read this journal from front to cover, like I didn't want to let it go. Mm. And I was waiting for the emotion. Uh, how exquisitely sad mm. that she could not express it. Not, not a bit. And, that's, and that she wouldn't be unusual. That's it, Cindy. She would not be unusual. Mm. They, you know, so many... It was... Is that how they cope? mother. That they, they didn't... They didn't, it's not that she wouldn't have felt it, but that somehow she, you know, that she couldn't write it. The um, my mother, I mean, she was even like a later generation. It was all stoical and kind of stiff upper lip, and you know, you don't wear your heart on your sleeve, and you know, and that's. And my grandfather was a tyrant. Oh. He was a tyrant, mm. and. Uh, but you would never have known that. I only know because I've heard from the siblings, you know, like my yes, mum's siblings. Yes. And I just, yeah. So your journals are very emotional. Yes. We're going to read Sandy's journal when she goes. Oh, we're going to enjoy a journal yes. that's got We're going to make a podcast out of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a movie. A, a terrifying. movie out of that one. Terrifying. No, I just, I would love to read one that has... Yes. Has that emotion in it? Like my mom, even you know, I've read some writings of my mom because she's passed, and and they were they weren't what I expected. You know, they were just not there. And maybe she learned that from her mom. And I hope that I think when I write, I write. You write how you feel. I write how I feel, and I speak how I feel, and I I I I hope. (laughs) But I think that there's a magic in what Sandy's, you know, even just this podcast. And I know that we're kind of, you know, running on to time here. But I think the 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 magic of what Sandy's shared with us today is a journey, and 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 just only just scrape the surface of what we could talk about um, in, in in such a magnificent. Um, picturesque way that we've I mean certainly for me I, I've, I've everything that you've spoken about I've been drawing pictures in my mind and I think that's what we're craving too is to to be able to learn from those who've walked the path before us and understand what is ahead and how we can learn from that and become more and be better for ourselves and for each other I think that you know and I think that's probably what you'd be missing Cindy in those journals is because it's just more factual about what happened as opposed to the architecture the flavour and the you know the, 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 the if, if you were to sum this up <laughs> your whole life or where you're at now and people are listening to this and I'm sure they feel the way we all feel which is huge admiration and love and even people that don't know you I know fall into your spell that they just are mesmerised in your presence and you have such a remarkable, amazing, incredible heart of compassion, empathy, love and forgiveness. You are one of my greatest mentors. What would be the legacy Sandy Morrison would love to leave on this planet? You know, it might sound a bit cliche, but I think that there's a, there's a, um, a line in Leonard Cohen's, because you know I'm of that era, and he says, um, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light comes in. And then one of my favourite poets is a Sufi mystic and a poet, Rumi, and he expresses it in a different way and he says, the wound is the place where the light comes in. And so if I could ever communicate, you know, that we don't have to be afraid of pain and struggle and the challenges, life doesn't have to just be a rosy bubble because what we learn and what we discover through all that life brings is where the light comes in and I would like to think that that would be something that I could pass on to people 
so that we don't have to um, feel like we always have to avoid pain, which I see the result in so many people's lives of what is happening to them because they're avoiding pain. And life is light and love and also pain. And that's what makes us fully human beings. So I salute you, mm. <laughs> fantastic woman. So I do salute you. I think you are on that you're on that road and you give so much of yourself. And altogether you make this fabulous kind of whole because when I started this conversation I talked about we're not just our mind, we're not just our emotions, we're not just our physical body. We are a harmonious, integrated system that is all of that. And you all live that and give that. So, thank you. Well, how wonderful to finish the podcast with Sandy's blessing. Isn't it wonderful? Well, you know, we have reached the end of the podcast and as much as I hate to be the one to to bring the podcast to an end, it's been an absolute treat and I just hope that you come back and we can do this again and explore more about your life and, you know, your philosophies. I think it would just be exceptional. So please come back and do this with us again, Sandy. It's been amazing, absolutely amazing. And I would love, or we would love, to hear your thoughts on the podcast, um, your comments, your ideas, and your your confirmation or your thoughts about everything that Sandy's raised here today, because I think you've been so succinct and so articulate in explaining the meaning of life and the possibilities of life that I think that you've probably pricked the ears of a lot of our listeners and quickened the hearts of many. So... Um, I think that's a real gift and a real contribution that you've made to everybody that listens to us and to us personally. So thank you for that. Thank so, you. Oh, it's a pleasure. So go ahead and leave your comments on The Wellness Couch, which is all the W's, thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And please, please, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If this one doesn't get it, I don't know what will. Also go to our Facebook page, allthews.facebook forward slash up for a chat and post all of your comments, all of your thoughts, all of the things that you agree with, everything that you think about this podcast. We want to hear it all. Don't hold anything back. And join us here again next week on Up For A Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Hi, this is Dr. Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show. How would a pair of Vivo Barefoot Ultras feel on your feet this summer? These guys are awesome and our good friends at Vivo are giving away one pair of their newest range to one lucky Wellness Couch member. Vivo Barefoot Shoes feature a puncture-resistant, flexible, non-pitched sole and a wide toe box which allows the foot to move as nature intended, as close to being barefoot as possible. All you have to do to be in the running is become a Wellness Couch member by midnight Sunday, December 22nd, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Membership is free and comes with a range of benefits. To become an official member of the couch, go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and enter your name and email address. Merry Christmas from all of us here at The Wellness Couch and may it be filled with great health and good times with those you love. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.